Right. <clears throat> okay, pray with me one more time as we get started, okay? Father, Lord, we come before you now thanking you for your mercy and grace. Thank you that you are a great God. Thank you, Lord, that even though we were blind to heaven's joys, Lord, you gave us love and peace, Lord, joy and peace and grace and peace. And we thank you uh, for the merits of your son, Lord. Thank you that because of what he has done, we stand here justified, Lord, if we are in Christ, and we stand here full of hope because of him. Father, we pray that you'd work among our church today, and, and just uh, we pray that you would be pleased to exalt your name among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A uh, little show and tell. A little show and tell. Uh, the problem is, is number one, our bookstore is not open today. Number two, uh, it's not even on the table. So I should have bought this. And put, maybe there is one copy. But anyway, uh, if you want to get a really, really good book on uh, Christ in the Law of Moses, which is just kind of in the Old Testament, um, I have found this book to be tremendously easy to read. Uh, and it looks kind of intimidating, right? It's like a 420-page 400, book. So you can tell people, hey, I read a 420-page book, you know? But it's really, really great. Um, and he's just going through uh, the entire imagery of the tabernacle and the temple, and all the furniture, all the symbolism. But I'm telling you, I was, the reason I'm recommending it is because it is so readable. Uh, it is not out of your league. I mean, you can read this no problem. And then he just goes into, he, he does a lot of stuff in here. Uh, he shows how Christ fulfills the law. Uh, he dismantles theonomy in here, which I thought was kind of interesting that he got into that. But he does a good job. Um, he just does a lot of good things in here. Vern Poitras is a, uh, a professor at Westminster. Um, be sure and, oh no, <laughs> we got Landon over here on Amazon already. He's already on Amazon. I like it. Man after my own heart right there. Okay, so let, let's go back to Ephesians chapter f- 6. Ephesians chapter 6 uh, today. I, I just want to, uh, and I don't know if I'm going too fast here or too slow for some of you all, but I just wanted to, um, I wanted to move into the area of child rearing and parenting and that whole passage. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians Chapter 6, verses 1 through, what is it? 1 through 3, or 1 through 4? Yeah, 1 through 4. And and just talk about some of the issues uh, that relate to this. This is uh, obviously a very, very important passage of Scripture. Uh, we talked about the marriage. Uh, we talked about the role of husband and wife. We talked about why how important that is. We talked about how foundational that is. And uh, I just want to stress for our church, you know, this is... Uh, everybody is a work in progress. Nobody has arrived. Uh, we are not here to look down each other's nose and to say, oh, look how much better my marriage is than yours or whatever, right? Um, that's not what this is about. This is just about us wanting to conform our lives to the standards that we find in the Bible. And we know that this is a, you know, this is a lifelong process where we have to conform our lives uh, to think according to Scripture. And so no different, really, with the subject of child-rearing. And um, I want to look at a few few different points here, but why don't we read the text, uh, verses 1 through 4. Let me read it for us, okay? It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may, well, it may go well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, that is really uh, where we're going. And obviously you see the very first address here is going to be to children. Now, I want you to turn to the Old Testament with me. Uh, turn to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 15. Somebody want to, uh, if you're getting there closely, um, maybe Landon, can you read that for us? Uh, Exodus 21, verses 15 to 17. What, what I just quickly want to do is I just want to quickly show us that according to God's moral law, according to his standards, in the, in the Old Covenant, um, the, the issue of child rearing and the issue of obedience 
was a very serious uh, covenantal uh, structure to the whole society. I mean, it, it really affected the whole culture and the whole society of Israel, and they took it very seriously. I just I want to read this, and I want to comment on why um, the severity. Go ahead. Why it's so severe. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And he who kidnaps a man, whether he sells him or he is found in his possession, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. That's right. Now, if you flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 21, 21, 21. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, one of the most important books in the Bible. I know that's kind of that's kind of like which book is not important, but but one of the books in Scripture that is so incredibly seminal to the rest of the Bible, which means from that book a lot of theology and a lot of um, just sort of uh, the concepts are introduced and they come in. Deuteronomy is very important. I know when I'm looking for like Old Testament commentaries, I'm looking for Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy is so foundational and the New Testament cites Deuteronomy over and over and over and over again. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, beginning in verse 18, uh, this is what is said there. It says, if any man has a stubborn or rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother and, and when they chasten him, he will not even listen to them. Then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear of it and fear. Wow. So why do I read that? Because I want to expose us to the Levitical Code and the moral law, uh, at, at least in, under, under this time in Israel, under the theocracy, to show us that what is going on here? Why, why is God so severe about incorrigible children, meaning children that have cast off all restraint, and they're incorrigible, meaning you can't rationalize, you can't reason with them anymore. They're, they're beyond, you know, they're, 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 they're who I... Who, they are where I was when I was 16 years old. Asked my mom, she kicked me out of the house because I was incorrigible, right? I was, I refused. She's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Better believe it. <laughs> and rightly, she, I'll tell you what, man. My mom, she could teach the rest of the class. She could come up here and tell you. My mom, she didn't mess around. It wasn't a threat. It was like, grab a trash bag and get out. You know what I mean? Like, I know. Don't go into it. Don't go into it. I know. It's it's a big bad story. I'm redeemed. <laughs> leave that in the past. <laughs> but um, I mean, what she did was not severe enough. Uh, what what the law is telling us is that this is what we deserve in our incorrigibility, in our rebellion, and and our. Um, in our disrespect and dishonor, breaking the, the, the commandment that says honor your mother and your father, right? So the violation of that command is actually being manifested right here, that what's the opposite, right? We're looking at, uh, what is it, Ephesians 6, where it says it's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you on the earth, that you may live long on the earth, right? So, so what is this law showing us? That the violation of that commandment results in the opposite. Your life will be cut short, Right by the covenant community, they will they will put you to death. It comes with a capital punishment. Think about how severe. So I'm just I'm just showing you these these verses to show you that um, why was God? I, I want to put it this way first, but why is God being so severe? I mean, so okay, so a child is rebellious. I mean, we have to take him out and stone him to death. God says yes under the old covenant. Now, of course, we don't do that today because we're no longer a theocracy, right? Although some theonomists would like to take us back to that place, <laughs> you know, Wh- which, of course, we, we won't go back to that place, but yeah. I would say it's a result of it being a reflection of him being authority over you. Re- the parents have an authority over the children, and so by dishonoring the parents, you're dishonoring the authority that yeah. Set yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. What is the theocracy? What, what is that? 
Why is a theocracy not in, in force right now? Why is it no longer here? In other words, we're no longer under the theocracy, right? <laughs> I mean, we no longer live in a theocratic system today. Only does it have any other purpose? In other words, why did God do that? If it was just temporary, it was just there for a temporary time, what was its purpose? Yeah, it's a shadow. What? The shadow of Christ in the law of Moses, right? I knew there's a reason I bought this book today. And I didn't even make that connection. But, but yeah, that's right. The theocracy is a shadow. It is a picture or a type of what? What's it a shadow of? The kingdom to come, right? <laughs> and in the kingdom to come, are there any rebellious children in God's kingdom? Absolutely not, right? There is no tolerance in God's future kingdom, celestial kingdom, the kingdom of God to come. We're talking about the consummate kingdom. We're not talking about the kingdom within. We're talking about the consummate kingdom, meaning the kingdom at the end of the age. When it comes, there will be no rebellious children. There will be nothing that violates God's law. Just read uh, Revelation chapter 22, where it talks about that, that, you know, all of the sorcerers and all the profane, everything, the dogs are outside of the kingdom of God, right? God puts an end, and Matter of fact, he says, you know, let the wicked be wicked. Let the filthy still be filthy, right? What is he saying? It's like the, 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 um, the, the, the way of life is fixed, right? It, it, he, he's he's going to set people's uh, fate eternally, right? And in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as an incorrigible child. So in the, the reason why it had to be that severe is because God had to teach the children of Israel the actual picture of the kingdom of God and what it was like. And that's why all God's laws are there. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about, you guys. The Ten Commandments, brace yourself, is not just for evangelism. The Ten Commandments have a typological function. They function to govern a people in order to show them what are the ethics of God's kingdom, right? His, his consummate kingdom. Just amazing. So, I mean, I have a slew of verses here on, on the punishment of incorrigible children. By the way, you guys still in Deuteronomy 21? I just wanted to show you something kind of neat before we move on, but just because we're always talking about, you know, Christ and the shadow of Moses, all, all of this, right? Uh, the shadow of Christ and the law of Moses. I mean, talk about, talk about an amazing uh, typology here. Look at verse 22. Because did you catch it? Where it says that the reason these kids are being put to death is because they are gluttons and drunkards. You see that? The next time you find that phrase, you find it in the New Testament. And who, who is being accused of being a glutton and a, wine and a drunkard? Jesus. Is there a connection? I think so. Look at verse 22. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, he is to be put to death, and you shall hang him on a tree. His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, and you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who hangs, who is hung, or who is hanged, is cursed of God, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Where's that verse quoted? Galatians Galatians chapter three. This verse is quoted in Galatians chapter three, and G.K. Beale says that what this is showing is that Jesus bore the curse for all of the incorrigible children of Israel. He took the penalty that they all deserved. Because there were many, many uh, rebellious children in the, in the history of Israel that were not punished justly. That they, they did not suffer the fate of the Levitical law. They, they, kinda, they were allowed to you know, get away with it, so to speak. But Jesus did not. He paid the penalty even for the rebellious children of Israel. Amazing, right? All right. Let's look, go back to uh, uh, Gala- uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 6. And let's work our way through this. So what's the point of all of that? It's just to show us, brothers and sisters, how much, how serious God, you know, sees the family. Like how serious it is for God, for us, that we implement what he's commanding here in, in Ephesians. Uh, that this is, these are not suggestions by the Lord, right? This is not this, the Lord giving us some parenting advice, right? These are commands of the Lord. This is his standard. This is what he wants us to achieve 
in our homes and in our families. Same thing with the same thing with the the, the picture of marriage. So let me let me uh, let, let me let me go like this here. Let me see. Okay. So first, let's just talk about the priority of obedience. That's a that's the first thing. I'm going to talk about various things, but first is the priority of obedience. Okay, because. That is what the command is. And why, why am I stressing the priority of obedience when it comes to child-rearing? Why the priority of obedience? What are some other things that we could prioritize in terms of our children? What's that? Respect. Respect. I mean, that falls in line with obedience. For education. There you go. Right? So some, some, some people, they operate that the goal of life is to see their children educated. Right. I mean, par- I mean, people flock to America so that their children can have a good education. Right. And some families, they have it. They have this idolatrous affection for education. They think that, you know, the status quo, you know, they need to they need to have their kids in college. They need to be getting degrees. And so that's the primary goal of their children. Ah, let them have fun, whatever, as long as they get an education. That is not God's priority for our children is to get a degree. God's priority for us is to be obedient. What are some other things that undermine the priority of obedience, even with us? Maybe some tendencies. Yes, sir? Being ambitious. Being ambitious? Yeah, teaching your kids various values that are not wrong, right? Being ambitious, being, um, um, you know, being, being motivated, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I hope my daughter is going to be an ambitious, motivated young young woman. Well, I mean, just like your ambitions can't undermine your obedience uh, to such a way. Oh, sure. Like, like money, you, you begin to be overly ambitious. That's right. In that sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking of all kinds of stuff. Like, if the priority is obedience to the parent, right, then the priority is not fun. <laughs> you know, newsflash, right? Right? It just seems like in our culture, everything is conditioned around, you've got to make sure your kids are having fun. I mean, have you guys been to like, well, you know I've been there recently. Toys R Us and, you know, <laughs> Bye Bye Baby and all this. Is like, it's just fun, 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 fun. Nothing but fun. I mean, our culture wants to saturate our children with this mentality that if it's not fun, it's not right. Right? And I'm not saying, look, don't, don't go home and take your kids' toys away. I mean, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying priority-wise, what should you be consumed with? It is not my kid's birthday is coming up and i got to get him that toy, right? Like that's not what you should be consumed with. Yeah, get him a toy, fine. But be consumed with what you're called to do as a parent biblically, which is to train your child in the way they should go. Yes, sir? I've also noticed the priority Did I have that some parents have. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that was on, that's on my list somewhere in my notes here. Being friends versus being parents, right? That's a thin line, right? What, what are we saying and what are we not saying? I'm not saying that there's no relationship there to where, um, you know, you enjoy spending time with. Right. There is a, like you said, a priority. I'm, I'm your parent. I'm your father first before friends. That's right. Yes, sir. I know in like my household, it was always like family, like it was the center of family being before anything, like being loyal to the family. Sure. Yeah, that that's right. Right. We, we develop a culture. You know what I mean? And what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. You know what I mean? It's like we we create these false cultural norms and then we esteem them like the highest. You know what I mean? As long as we're involved, as long as you're part of the family, that's fine. You could be completely rebellious. You could be disrespecting, you know, you could be living a godless life, which is breaking the commandment, right? But as long as you're at the family reunion, you're, you're fine. You know, we have our priorities all messed up. Yes, sir. Oh, I thought you, I thought you answered. Okay. Uh, for his, his children. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, a- amen. Like, even with Eden. I mean, look how cute she is. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? And I'm, I'm constantly having to remind Trish and myself, you know, we're, we're constantly needed, needing to be reminded that Eden is not God. You know what I mean? Like, I have a higher priority than Eden, and it's my devotion to God. As much as I love her and I can drool on her all day, you know what I mean? I literally can, and that's probably why she's breaking out a little bit. But anyway, um, just sucking on those cheeks, you know? But she is not God. You know what I mean? I, I, have to, I have to love God more than I love her for her sake. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. I was thinking of what I call vicarious living. Where yeah. the parents try to live their life through the kid and make sure the kid does everything they should have done. Or oh, yeah. To get them where they want them to be. Yeah. Just go down to the Frisco sport thing over here in the soccer, the soccer season, right? You'll see kids living by parents trying to live vicariously through their children. It's crazy, right? Yes, sir. Amen. That's right. So there's a lot of things that we can substitute for the priority of obedience. But at the end of the day, I just want to make it unmistakable for us that this is our job, right? That obedience is our job, right? That that's what we're supposed to be consumed with as parents is having children that are obedient. And that's why I asked, like, what is it, what, you know, when we talk about, you know, that you're not, your, your kids are not just your friends, right? Obviously, that doesn't mean we're not friendly towards our kids. We don't love our kids. We don't shower them with, with you know, love and time and, and de- you know, and devotion, right? But we can't ever get away from this priority. Jesse, I think you had a question. Uh, I was just going to say, um, when you're doing good, you have a good day of expectation with them. Mm-hmm. Mm, very good. Yeah. Very good. I think I'm experiencing that right now. I mean, Trish does a better job than I do. Trish already thinks, like, Eden can read Greek and Hebrew from crying out loud. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't think she understands what I'm saying. She's like, oh, no, no, she understands. And I'm just like, wow, okay, all right. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Yeah, we're doing Bible study now. You know what I mean? Even though, yeah, she doesn't understand all that, but it, it is more for us a routine and a rhythm and order. Yeah, structure. And I think they thrive, or at least she seems to be from that. Yeah. You know? let's, let's, read the prom- let's read the promise of obedience. Verse 2, it says, um, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, back when this was spoken, right, when this was first given to the children of Israel in Exodus, um, obviously that it may go long, that you may live long on the earth uh, is an interesting, it, it wasn't just l- longevity, right? When this was originally spoken, uh, the earth really was ultimately referring to the land, and the land was the promised land. Right, so this covenantal promise was a lot deeper than just, you know, you're going to have long life because you were an obedient child. Right? Remember what we just looked at with incorrigible children—they're being, you know, literally executed from the land. Right? And so here, the promise is that they will continue in a right covenant relationship with God's people and in the covenant land, which is the promised land, which is which is wonderful. So I think the promise that we have to look forward to, I, and, and, and I would say here, it's the principle here, is that if our children learn to obey us, then there's a good, you hate to speak it because we're Calvinists, but you know what I mean by that, I don't say chance, but there's a, there, the potential for them to get saved, <laughs> and to be among the number, <laughs> and, and, and to be, and, and, and that God will use our effort to get our children to conform to his commands, that God will use that effort as the means to save them is high, 
Um, so that's why we want to cling to this promise is because we know that God's word does not return void. If we invest this little child with the word of God, you know what I mean? We have a general principle coming back to us that says they will be blessed. Cassie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's not a, a shock to them to, to understand, like, they have to submit to the Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. We've, just, we've been preparing them that whole time to understand, like, what submission is. Amen. Absolutely. And I, I just think of the, think, think on a common grace level, right? Just on a common grace level, the sanctifying effects that teaching and instructing your children is going to have in this world the discernment that they're going to have, right? The, the, the understanding of right and wrong, all of those things that can be a safeguard for them that could really preserve their life and maybe even preserve their purity and preserve things like that until the moment comes where they, by God's grace, will get saved. Somebody have a question? Oh, yes, sir. Would that fit under the umbrella of reap what you sow? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where, where is that at? What, Galatians chapter uh, 6, right? He says, you know, if we do not grow weary in doing good, because in due time we will, we, will, we will reap what we've sown, right? Or something like that. I think it's Galatians chapter 6. I don't know, you guys look it up. <laughs> it's Galatians 6, right? Um, yeah, so, you know, um, again, let the promise of obedience, this promise, I guess that we could say overall, the general blessing and the benefits that can come to our children because we love them enough to, to teach them obedience, let that be an incentive for us not to be lazy about our parenting, not to be lazy about our child rearing and our discipline, and, and, and really to have goals and to have an intentional, uh, uh, an intentional uh, sort of a game plan of how are we going to teach this child obedience in the Lord. You know what I mean? And, and, and let's make that distinction, you guys, because I've met a lot of really obedient Mormon children, right? Uh, so we're not just talking about obedience of any kind. It has to be within a Christian context. Um, yeah. Anybody else want to speak to that? Just the promise of obedience? What, what should that do to us as parents? Amen. I mean, talk about reap what you sow, right? I mean, if you sow laziness and neglect, right, then you're going to reap the whirlwind of that later. You know, what, is, what, is the, what does the Proverbs say about, about discipline? You know, very clear, Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and the reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame upon his mother. I mean, think about that proverb and how powerful that is, right? The rod and reproof bring wisdom. Right? But a child who gets his own way, and man, how often does that happen, right? can bring shame upon his mother. Because what you're doing is you're just spoiling the child into thinking, this world exists for me <laughs> to get what I want. You know what I mean? And you've got to teach them that at the earliest age. I mean, last night, Eden was giving me a fight. I mean, we were like battling back and forth. And I'm trying to put her to sleep, and she's already like trying to get away. <laughs> you know? And finally, I held her to the point where... I didn't let her accomplish that. And she finally just kind of just melted in my arms <laughs> and went to sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we, that starts at the earliest age. How about this proverb? Proverb twenty nine seventeen: Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Think about that, right? The benefits and the fruit. Yeah. 29.1. Yeah, my wife's been all over the Proverbs for... Mm-hmm, 29.1. I was, I just had a note, yeah. 
A man man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Wow. That has huge implications for parenting and and for the Christian life, right? And for for life in general. You know, a person that hardens after much reproof, much work, much counsel. You're you're constantly disciplining. You're constantly, you know, trying to counsel the person and, and rebuke the person. Eventually, something sudden can happen. Wow. Good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, so we go from the promise, and then I want to say this. From that, uh, I want to point this out. I wanted to make sure I made time for this. You guys know what I'm doing up here, right? My famous alliterations, P P P P P, right? So we have the priority of obedience, the promise of obedience, and now the priority of fathers. Did you see that in the text? Right, because he says what? Let's go back. Fathers, verse 4. Fathers, notice that. Um, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I guess, why do you think he focuses in on the fathers? Why do you, th- why do you think that? And, and, and how does that challenge? How does that challenge our culture, right? I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll come back to that, right? But and, and so the the last question I asked was like how does that challenge our culture, right? And and our cultural understanding or or the way that maybe examples that we've had even. You know what I mean? Anyone? Anyone? Fathers are rarely around. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them work a long, long days, and it's hard to get home and try to muster up some more energy. But yeah. Yeah. I like what Vody Bakum says that when you come home super tired from work and you walk through the door, he said, gird up your, the loins of your mind because your job is not done. You still have more work to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, so typically, you know, it's very typical for fathers who have been working hard, you know, let's say, especially if they're the single you know, income earner in the home, come home and just want to collapse, you know, they're so tired, you know. Robert? Yeah, I was just going to say they usually are the ones who are the backup uh, parents to the home. Yeah. Uh, the mother is usually seen as the one who is kind of pulling the reins for everything. Yeah. And the dad is the secondary option in that scenario. That's what I was thinking, Robert, that, that it's like, especially in our culture, right? Like, you know, the father is more like, go to your mom. You know what I mean? Just, she'll deal with you. <laughs> that kind of thing. And not taking any ownership for your role. You know what I mean? But when he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, that assumes that the father is involved. I mean, just as basic as that, right? The father being involved. And we've said this before, but really, like, ultimately, the whole household, the father is the one, not just in charge, not just the one that has to be involved, but he is the one who has to set the pace for everything. And he's the one who's going to be accountable for the whole house. So, I mean, you know, you better be involved. You know what I mean? There's no, there, you can't abdicate and expect good results as a father. You know what I mean? And, I mean, there's just so much to this, you know. It, yeah. This is maybe a bigger question than what I'm thinking. But I grew up in a single parent home. And yep. in regards to the, I would say the children Mm -hmm. in that single parent home context uh, basically when I ask what would the judgment of God look like that the father's not there at all oh sure yeah is there like a greater judgment on them or a greater condemnation in a sense I guess it it would determine on why he's not involved you know what I mean but yeah certainly I mean it's not good you know if he's still held accountable for the children even though they're not there I guess is what I'm thinking I think if there's sinful reasons why the father's not there, certainly he's going to, I mean, that's just going to, you know, heap wrath upon him for what he's done, you know what I mean? So, in a sense is that... He bears a, he bears a guilt. Last question. Yeah. In a sense is that uh, adding to their sin, like is it a continual sin for them not to be over their children or leading their children 
being responsible for their children. Certainly they have sinned, you know what I mean, for not being what God calls them to be, you know what I mean? But, uh, I mean, that just shows you, right, when once you break God's design, the, men, the many, you know, consequences that result from, you know, failing to keep his order from the very first step, which is marriage, right? And let's say the marriage doesn't work or whatever, and, you know, it just it, they, they had children out of wedlock or something like that. You know what I mean? All of those things have ramifications and consequences that just create a world of iniquity, really. I mean, you know, the dysfunction. And we've all seen it. We've all been a part of it. Yes, sir. I was going to maybe expand a little bit on that because yeah. I think you can even see the consequences just by pure statistics of what occur in homes. <coughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the compound of that sin from the father spreads to the children. And you had just read a verse where it's uh, where where the parent, the father, would receive some type of gladness from seeing the son corrupted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas now, instead of seeing this gladness happen, your son wants to shame heaped upon the father, and that seems to be like a judgment of God in and of itself. Yeah. That's right. Uh, everybody has this book. Yep. Even if, <laughs> even if you're not a parent, you need to buy this book. Um, yeah, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Paul Tripp. I mean, that's just a place where you have to start. You know, you got to start somewhere if you're 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 new to being really biblically intent on raising your children right. Um, Paul Tripp's book is probably the best. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. You want me to keep writing, huh? Okay. I'm not writing all that. <laughs> 14 Gospel Principles. Yeah, I saw that book. That's right. Maybe we'll get it in here, too. Yeah, a lot of books, but, I mean, Paul Tripp's stuff is renowned uh, for just being so good, so right. I, li- I like what Paul Tripp says in Shepherding a Child's Heart. At one point, he goes on to talk about how um, the, the children are not ours and how he talks about that the father is an agent of God, right? That, that, that you're, you're, you're not just, you know, daddy. You know what I mean? You're God's agent in the home for that child and that your priority is God, right? Your priority is first that he owns you. You work for him, <laughs> right? And you have your marching orders from God, Right. And so it's so like radically changing your your mindset of like, you know, I'm a man with a child. Nope, you're a man and you're God's agent. Right. You're his training vessel, you know. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. The situation where the father is dead, um, does that priority shift to the mother? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Honor your father and mother. Right. So. Definitely. And it's going to be tough. But the gospel is enough. And so the gospel can provide the strength and, you know, all of that that, that you need for that to make it through life even when the picture is not what it should be, you know, for no fault of your own or whatever, you know. Praise God for that, you know. Gospel changes everything, you know. brother just brought up a good point. Yeah. That in that situation, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You would hope that that's what's happening, right? Yeah, that's right. So, um uh, how about how about this, uh maybe on a negative uh the propensity of fathers. According to the text, why do I say the propensity of the fathers? Yeah, fathers isn't it amazing that this is what he chose to start with? Fathers do not provoke. He starts it with a negative command to the father, <laughs> right? Do not provoke your children to anger. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that's why, so in my thinking, and I think that's kind of the general consensus, is that there is a propensity 
for fathers to provoke their children because fathers are just tend to be rougher, tend to be harsher, less patient, right? Um, and then, you know, um, then you find out that you're, you're dealing with a really tender heart. So you're shepherding a child's heart, right? Um, shepherding is a lot different, um, is a lot different than just, you know, um, commanding. You know what I mean? Shepherding is a lot different than just disciplining, right? Shepherding is guiding. Shepherding is, you know, trying to impart wisdom. Shepherding implies a certain degree of manner. You have to have a manner in which you do what you do as a father. It's not just about, you know, do it or else. The father, in shepherding his child's heart, has to constantly tell them why I'm telling you to do this, right? The wisdom behind why dad wants it to be this way, why it has to be this way. And a father should do that, you know? I, I think after every spanking session, you should have a frank talk with your child, explain to them why they've received discipline, what went wrong, how does God see it, you know, why did, why did daddy respond like that, you know what I mean, which is not easy, and then after you spank, you talk, and you pray, right, hopefully we're doing something like that, yes sir, Yeah. And that was that was never really correlated to me. So yeah, children will force you to be a theologian. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to have an answer even for the child. Why are we doing why? 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 Well, because the Lord wants it this way. Well, why? Ch- aren't children great? <laughs> they force you I'm like, well, okay, well, because the Bible says, well, why does the Bible say that? Because that's what God says, all right? Enough. <laughs> <laughs> Don't provoke your children to wrath. <laughs> yeah, use the precept on your child. That's right. Because, because without God, you couldn't ask me that question in the first place. <laughs> That's what Bonson says. Don't provoke a Presuppositional parenting? I'll stop. <laughs> I like that. Careful, I might do something like that. Yeah. Obey your parents in the Lord. Wow, isn't that? Yes, ma'am. Me working in a in a daycare, it also shows you know all the children. I deal from you know fifty to one hundred and twenty thirty children every day, and you can feel wow. the discipline and the correction and the guidance that they're getting kind of home. You know when they go to those difficult schools, there's something real that because they're very disobedient, very just crazy. It's it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Amen. That's exactly right. And think about that. You're you're dealing with little tiny children. Yeah. And, but, but already you're seeing the behavior. Yes. That one child that is like four years old, it involved like four teachers and the parents, and they couldn't make it go to... To comply. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, I totally understand. I've, 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 uh, I've tried ministering to kids like that throughout the years. I remember uh, there was a, a, young, a young teenage boy at church, and everybody had a heart for this young kid, but he was so rebellious, so uncontrollable. Uh, but he had such a personality, you just fell in love with him. You know, and, you, and so many people were trying to reach him and reach out to him, but he just, no matter what, he just would not comply with anybody, with what anybody said. I mean, think about that. That's why the law says, you know, incorrigible. You're incorrigible. You're that. You're to that point. You know what I mean? Where the whole church can't even correct you. Yeah, every word. Oh man. Yeah, that's right. That's why it's in the Lord. 
Yeah. Um, and then, I guess last of all, guys, um, it says here, you know, it says, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I guess to keep the P going, what I said was, what is the place, what is the place of fathers, which is to say, what is the role of the father? What place do you have in the home? According to this, you need to be doing several things. Number one, you need to be bringing them up, which is kind of like the overarching principle here. And then the next two sort of describe that idea, right? At least that's the grammar. But so the overall thing is bring them up, train them up, uh, rear them in the Lord, right? And then what does that look like? Well, two things, discipline and instruction. So number one, the, the father is responsible for the training of the child. Think about that, guys. And, and, and let, that, let that, you know, minister to you and, and convict you and change you. Because what this is saying is that it is your job to rear that child. So this whole thing of just put it off on mom, she'll take care of it. Absolutely not. You as a father, you need to be taking stock, right? Where is my child at? Where's their progress at? Where's their spiritual maturity at? Where is their obedience at? You know, you need to know this, what's going on. You can't, it cannot be that you don't know what's going on with your child. You don't know where they're at. You don't know where their heart is at. And that the mom knows everything, you know, and is afraid to come and share it with you because you're not a good, you abdicate, and therefore she doesn't even want to share it with you. We get in these vicious cycles, you know, where if we just obeyed what the Bible says, You know what I mean? We wouldn't have to have that problem. You see what I'm saying? It affects everything. It affects the marriage. It affects the whole family. It affects everything. Church, it affects everything. It's really amazing. Yes, sir? And the mother's all over Proverbs too, you know, the, 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 at least the metaphor where the mother's instructing her son, right, to walk in wisdom. So it's both, but yeah. But what gets me is that that diligent aspect, not just when it's convenient. Exactly. Yeah. So we have to almost, right, Brian, like we almost have to take on a new mentality where we, where, where, where we see that training a child's heart, shepherding a child, is spiritual. Right, so we can get like in this mentality where, well, spiritual is like reading a book or studying the Bible or something like that. But you know, when you have to go deal with your with your with your kids, you know, that's not a spirit. That's kind of a mundane. No, it's not. It's it's spiritual, and that's what we're going to talk about today in, in service is all of life being worship, and so it is just as spiritual as you reading that commentary or that book on apologetics is you shepherding your child's heart. It's just as spiritual. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so you have to discipline. And so I do believe I do believe in corporeal punishment. Um, in other words, spanking, uh, physically uh, disciplining your child. You don't want to be on record as saying very much like John Piper would say. You know, I'll go to jail for the right to spank my child. You know what I mean? Uh, I will never relent on that on that issue you know I mean? remember uh oh, this is a bad analogy for many reasons but i remember listening to hank hanegraaff the bible answer man who has since apostatized in the eastern orthodoxy but anyway i remember listening to hank hanegraaff and somebody called in and says oh i don't spank my children my i don't spank my children and he said oh congratulations you're smarter than solomon <laughs> oh well i just have a different definition of the rod and this is like a I mean, we're not smarter than God. You know what I mean? We don't have better parenting skills than he does. So we better do what he says, you know. And that's why he says in the Proverbs, you know, do not faint for their crying. They will not die. (laughs) I mean, your child will try to convince you that it's dying, but they're not dying. They just know how to act like they're dying. (laughs) (laughs) Huh? Yeah, you know, where's my nephew Christian? I don't want to embarrass him. But anyway, yeah. I 
Yeah. Real quick. Amazing, right? He, he wraps his arms around me and just gives me the biggest hug and kiss. And it's just we have that oneness again. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely a spiritual battle um, with the two-year-old especially. I mean, it's a constant spiritual battle because at the end of the day, when you just discipline so much, you're just like, I'm just drained. Right. You know, and you're it's hard work. Exactly. It yeah. Instead of just staying in the Word and walking with the Lord through it. I mean, that's yeah. something that keeps you, like, going. Yeah. yeah. A- a- amen. You love them enough to discipline them. You know what I mean? And and uh, I guess just to finish off, it's like I said earlier, it's not just about spanking, but it's about instruction. So how does how do you rear a child? You have to provide consistent, disciplined discipline, and then you have to provide instruction so that their heart will be shepherded through the process. You know what I mean? So yes, ma'am. I'll give you the last word. Yeah. Yeah, and if your husband's not doing the role, come and talk to me about that. <laughs> Let's go to worship.